0: Welcome to the Fearless Vampire Podcast. I'm on a heartfelt mission through the art of conversation and storytelling to inspire women to pursue their creative entrepreneurial journey with reckless abandon. I'm your host, Taylor, a six-figure photographer and business coach based in Colorado. I'm a right-brain mompreneur to two toddler boys, devoted deep conversation holder, and your personal alpaca cuddle liaison. My hope is that you leave our time together feeling empowered and energized to build your dream life. Learn more at fearlessvampire.com. Welcome back to the Fearless Vampire podcast. I am so thrilled to introduce y'all to one of my favorite people who owns one of my favorite businesses, Allie with Creatives Learn Law. Allie, thank you so, so much for spending your time with us today.
1: I'm so glad to be here, Taylor. You know I always love to talk to your students, so thank you for having me.
0: Yes, I'm so excited to introduce you all to her. So Allie is a law student turned wedding photographer turned practicing lawyer. She just retired from wedding photography and is back practicing law because she had a lot of people coming up to her and asking her what are my rights? Like, what is it like running a business from a legal side? And so Allie has recently retired from wedding photography and is now a lawyer for heart-centered entrepreneurs. Allie, I think the world of you and your mission, and I would love to hear from your point of view all about your story. Tell us where you started, what was life like before creatives learn law, and we'll just start there and I'm sure it'll grow into something beautiful.
1: Yeah, sure. So I started my photo business when I was still in college, and I ran that business for about 10 years. And I loved certain parts of that business. There are parts of that business that I did not love. But one thing that I really always enjoyed was connecting with other entrepreneurs. So I ran my photo business while I was in law school. I had no idea what I was doing (laughs) when I was in law school. I didn't know what kind of lawyer I was going to be. (laughs) Yeah, we never really know. But so I, I didn't know where I was headed. And after law school, I did some pretty traditional legal jobs. I worked on the Colorado Supreme Court. I worked in the Colorado Attorney General's office. And there were parts of both of those jobs that I enjoyed, but it really wasn't quite the right fit for me. I knew that I didn't want to be involved in people suing each other. It's just heavy and... It's stressful. So when my daughter was born, I I didn't go back to the attorney general's office, and I was trying to figure out what was next for me. And I was talking to some other photographers. They were asking me contract questions. I found myself in a position where I was repeatedly telling them, "Oh, I can't give you legal advice because I'm not your lawyer." And then one day I was like, "Well, what if I was? <laughs> what if I was your lawyer?" So I started researching malpractice insurance policies,
0: and I opened my firm. <laughs> I just love your story because your business now is thriving. And I do want people to know that I think one of the reasons it's thriving is because of your morning dance parties. Can you like shed a little light on your morning (laughs) dance parties?
1: Yeah, I like to think that's a big part of our success too. So yeah, that morning dance parties is something that uh, my former business partner, Ashley, and I started last year. As a way to bring joy into our business, I think any business owner can probably relate to this, but especially in the law, business can be really serious and it can be heavy. And so we wanted to bring joy into our business and we start the work week on Monday mornings from 8 to 8.30 with a dance party on Zoom. And Ashley is not my business partner anymore. She decided to go to a a job, a full-time job, but I still have dance parties with her every week and they just bring joy and fun into the start of our work week.
0: I love that so much. Oh my gosh. And I, I think one of the things that I love most about your mission and what you've done is that you have made law very approachable for people who are very right-brained. Law just is to me like reading Japanese. I, I don't understand it. And until I actually met you guys, my contract for weddings was the same from 2009, maybe, which is embarrassing because I was shooting like, a couple friends weddings, and I really didn't change it until almost 10 years later. What was Was it because you had been in weddings and you had been in the photography world that you knew that this needed to be approachable? Or was it just knowing your niche very intimately and knowing that if law is not approachable, nobody's going to want, you know, any business in this?
1: Yeah, I think that the reason that approachability is really an important part of the way that I practice law is there's sort of a couple reasons. First, I want my clients to understand their own contracts. I prepare mostly template contracts for my clients. And what that means is that I, even if I'm working with you on a custom document that's right for your business, It's my expectation that you're going to use that document with a 100 different clients. And all of those clients, you know, some of them will just sign, but some of them will want to customize the document. And I want you to know, as my client, how to do that, how to handle questions from your clients, what to feel comfortable editing what the language means so that you can answer questions from your clients. So that's one reason that it's really important to me that it's approachable. I don't want it to be unreadable to you because I want you to feel like you have ownership of the document. It's also important to me that it's approachable because I think that lawyers can be really heavy handed. And the reality for most photographers and other clients that I serve is that their business is pretty low risk, right? You're not the kind of professional that's likely to get sued, you're not building a house. You're not doing surgery.
0: <laughs> exactly. Um. And Ali actually speaks as a guest speaker to the the folks in my Launch to Livelihood course. And one of the things that you said to me that stuck out so beautifully was the chances of you getting sued are like very slim as a photographer. I, I think we all know that as creatives, not just photography, but you work with all creatives and in every industry. I mean, the chances are so slim, but it's one of the things that I feel like actually holds us back. That and what you just touched on, not understanding what our own contract says. One of my Launch to Livelihood gals who graduated last year just reached out today and she said, I don't actually understand what my contract says. Can you help me through this? And I was like, dang, I mean, it's so common that we don't even know what we're protected from or not protected from. And our biggest fear is being sued over something that we're not protected.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I do, I mean, it's not impossible. So we do put fine print terms like a liability waiver and what's called a liquidated damages provision, the kinds of provisions that are really about if someone sues you, how much money can they get? We have a couple clauses like that in almost every cl- contract that we put out into the world. But in general, the bulk of the contract is really about setting the tone for the relationship between you and your client and setting out your boundaries.
0: Absolutely. And there was something else that you had said whenever you were a guest speaker in my course, which was yes, you have to stick to a contract, but there's something about empathy and approaching each situation with empathy. And I was like, oh my gosh, I'm so glad Allie brought that up because I believe in leading a business with empathy. And especially during the COVID, you know, nineteen pandemic. When technically our couples were legally bound to pay contracts, I was like, I'm not going to make you all do that. Like nobody expected this. And so I just love your approach to lead with empathy, especially as a lawyer, because, again, you don't necessarily see that in, in the law world.
1: Yeah, I when you were talking Taylor about how you spent 10 years with this contract that maybe you don't feel that good about in retrospect. I was thinking to myself, <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know how many issues Taylor had with clients in those 10 years, but my money would be on not that many issues because I know that the way that you approach business is with a spirit of generosity toward your clients and that you believe strongly in boundaries but that you also believe in open communication so your clients know what to expect from you and having good customer service skills telling your clients what to expect up front making your clients feel heard and in, when there's a dispute or gray area erring on the side of generosity, like those are all so valuable when it comes to reducing your risk of getting sued or even just getting into nasty situations that are emotionally stressful.
0: Right. Absolutely. And I want to see if you can touch on what that looks like leading with compassion. Because again, I think 2020, that that the pandemic just rocked everybody and there were businesses that led with compassion and businesses that didn't. What did you see like across the board? Because I feel like most of your clients are pretty awesome. I mean, I'm sure that there's a rotten apple here and there, but for the most part, I feel like you probably got a really intimate look into what that year or two years at this point did to people in their business.
1: Yeah, I think... It's, it was tricky, especially in the pandemic. The pandemic was a really wild situation for event vendors because they had a lot of clients in a position where their heart went out to their clients, but that losing a year's worth of revenue just couldn't be an option. And so you hit a point, it's much different than when you have one client in 25 asking for a reschedule or a refund. Than when you have 20 clients and 25 asking for a reschedule or a refund. So, the first thing I really needed my clients to do was understand their full financial picture and understand what they could and couldn't do for their clients. If they, even if they uh, wanted to give full refunds to everyone, could they? So, that was sort of the first part of the question. And I think. It's hard. These are hard conversations to have. But one thing that really became evident, yeah, one thing that really became evident after that was that if you are earning, if you're taking in retainers or otherwise unearned money from your clients, and there's certain contingencies and things have to work out for that money to fully be yours, maybe putting that money into a savings account and then transferring it to your business checking account when it becomes yours yep. is yep. a
0: really good business practice. It's not yeah. possible for everybody, right? <laughs> Especially we, when you're we just call, getting started. Right. We we call it our, our oh shit fund. We put all of the money and deposits that we get from couples and coaching into, like you said, a safe savings account. And after that date has come and gone, then we transfer it into checking. That's such a great piece of advice.
1: If you have that flexibility, it's a lot easier to be compassionate. But even if you don't Absolutely. have that flexibility, if you can't make a refund, if you're not going to give in to what your client wants, compassion might look like listening to them, making them feel heard, thinking about creative options that work for both of you, not ghosting people. So there's right. different sort of ways you can show up.
0: Right. And so, speaking of making people feel heard, that kind of leads me into my next question that I was going to ask is why are people, mostly entrepreneurs, why are we so scared of contracts? Because I know I personally teach that contracts allow your client to feel heard and seen and it sets boundaries. But why do you think people are so scared about contracts, other than what you touched on earlier, that law in general as an entrepreneur is very intimidating?
1: Yeah. I think. I think it's probably the same reason that we're afraid of boundaries.
0: Right? We don't right. want people not to
1: like us. <laughs> yep. We don't want people to feel like we're audacious or asking for too much. And we don't want to navigate hard conversations about what the conditions of the business relationship are. Defining what we're willing to put up with and what we're not willing to put up with is sort of like a squirmy conversation right. in any setting.
0: Yeah. When well, you don't know what your contract yeah. says, that is like another layer. Exactly. exactly. Well, yeah. and I think a, a lot of us as entrepreneurs, we don't know what our own boundaries are. And like I said before, all it takes is one rotten apple to ruin the bunch. And when we the first time we ever had a couple not pay their invoice for their wedding, I was like, well, that's going in the contract. And so a lot of it is trial and error, I feel like, especially whenever you're starting out. Allie, I want to hear what were some of the challenges that you like personally had to overcome entering into this world of creative law, because it's not something that you see often and you clearly found your niche and learned how to serve it very, very well. But what were some of the obstacles that you faced, especially like whether it was from the creative world or from the law world who, you know, people who are very used to being in court and, you know, family law. And this was just so out of, Left field. How did you deal with those obstacles?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I think we do occupy a space, and there are other lawyers in this space for sure, but it's not a space that the legal profession respects or is set up to serve.
0: Right. And even
1: just Yeah, even just the ethical rules that I'm obligated to follow as a lawyer, they're set up for, like you mentioned, family attorneys or criminal defense attorneys. They're not set up for people who are making, I make on average like between one and $2,000 from a client. Legal world expects you to make (laughs) $30,000 from a client. So just sort of paving my own way to understand how the rules of ethics apply to me, and also ignoring really old school lawyers who think that the way that I run my business, like even social media advertising, like lawyers think that the way that you advertise is by going to bar association events.
0: I don't even belong to the bar association. (laughs) (laughs) I I feel like a lot of and maybe I'm wrong, definitely correct me if I'm wrong, but a lot of law marketing would be fear-based, right? And would you, like, do you think that you get people Most of the folks that you work with, I know I've texted Ashley in a moment of panic of like, I might need a lawyer, which was just me being melodramatic. But do you feel like a lot of the clients you work with are in the preparation mode and not crisis mode? Because I feel like a lot of law and why they charge 30 grand is because it's crisis mode. And it's that fear factor of what could happen versus do you feel like you're in a a realm where you get to help prepare for the worst and hope for the best?
1: Absolutely. That is all that I want to do. I will help my past clients manage the early stages when they feel like they're in crisis, but I don't like disputes. I don't want to do disputes. (laughs) Sometimes people people only decide they need to fix their contract because of a crisis,
0: (laughs) but in general,
1: we're we're forward-looking, like we're preventative.
0: I love that. I love that. And I know having you speak to to the folks in my Launch to Livelihood course is just... I feel bad because the last time Ashley taught, she got a lot of tax questions (laughs) and she's like, I'm not an accountant, but still there's just, there's (laughs) so much unknown about law and contracts and what, what are my rights as a creative? What are my rights not as a creative, just as a human being trying to make art. And so I just love your mission and overall approach to serving people.
1: It's just beautiful. Thank you so much, Taylor. Yeah. It's, It's really rewarding work because I think that often my clients don't have a lot of other resources that fill this need. My favorite part of the work is when I see that the empowerment process happen, right? When I see somebody who comes to me not understanding and leaves feeling really confident, but that's like the good part.
0: Right. Yeah. And and you you do such a good job, again, at setting the tone of the chances of you getting sued are so small. But in the off chance that you have a, a bad situation, you'll be covered. But I think just bringing that attention to people is very calming and again, sets the tone for how they move forward in their business. So Allie, coming from, again, you started in law school, you did 10 years as a wedding photographer. What are some of the limiting beliefs that you had about yourself? the creative industry overall, or just from your own like family culture or school culture that has influenced starting Creatives Learn Law? Like what were some of those limiting beliefs that you felt like could have held you back, but you overcame?
1: Yeah, interesting. The first thing that comes to mind is a limiting belief I am working on right now.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Aren't aren't we always...
1: yeah. So I mean, but I, I do know that when I opened this practice, I really remember having a conversation with a professional mentor, where my limiting belief was I'm not qualified. And I, I talked to her and I was like, I've only been an attorney for two years. What if people don't think I'm good enough to be on my own? And she just looked at me and said, if you were a man, you wouldn't even be asking.
0: Right? Like, you wouldn't be asking this. That is so beautifully said. (laughs) I've been an attorney for two years. I know everything. Come on, I'm starting my own practice.
1: (laughs) And it wasn't my two years of being a lawyer that qualified me to start my own practice. It was my nine years at that point of having been in the industry that I wanted to serve. And that's a long time. Like I I never ran, let's just say, I never ran a six-figure photography business. (laughs) I never was a full-time photographer, but I was in the industry for a long time and I knew it really well. And so I was, I, looking back, of course I was qualified, but in the moment I felt like I needed somebody to externally validate me by saying, yeah, I'll
0: hire you or I'll give you this award. Yeah. Isn't it funny how we discredit our experience? I mean, even after 10 years as a, I mean, this is my 10th year shooting weddings full time in Colorado. And even as a as a photography coach, I'm like, do I actually know anything like the number of nights I lay awake in bed like they're going to see right through me. They're going to know. And like, it's just so sad because as women, we so discredit our experience and what we've learned and hard knocks and getting back up. It's so refreshing to know that, that you feel that way too, even though I'm sorry, but it is refreshing.
1: <laughs> yeah, I definitely feel that way all the time. My new limiting belief, the one that I'm working on right now, is the belief that I, I exist to serve other people. Um, yeah. Do you know your Enneagram type? Are you oh, willing you to? You could share? probably guess fates on that one sentence. <laughs>
0: <Yes>. <laughs> Are you two, too? Me <laughs> <We> too. <do! laughs> <laughs> one of my girlfriends called me out she's an enneagram coach actually and she also speaks to my launch the livelihood course and i i had never taken the test and i i was crying to her one day i'm sure and i said i just want to feel appreciated and she was like oh my gosh you're a two so it's we, we have our signature lines for sure Oh, that's got to be so such good medicine, though, to be in law and serving on a level like such a high energy level, Allie. But at the same time, just you saying that and having that awareness of I am not here just to serve. Is so beautiful. Tell me more about that because I need I need to start taking notes.
1: <laughs> yeah, well, I did
0: really love reading the book Burnout. I don't know if you read Burnout. Yes, I listened to it, which was so <laughs> me too. It, oh my gosh. Yeah. If if y'all haven't read Burnout, go download the Audible right now. It's written by the Nagasi sisters and um they're twins. And they narrate the book in such a captivating way, and it's just—it's fantastic. I'll—we'll put it in the yeah. show notes for sure. But go ahead and talk more on that, Al. You may have introduced well, me the too. thing that, yeah, it was a great book.
1: But the thing that really sticks with me was them talking about the difference between a human doing and a human being. Yes, and I, feel that, like I say that like five times a day. <laughs> yeah. Like just thinking, you know, as somebody who is socialized. To believe that my job was to be of service to other people, whether that's people I work with or my spouse or my kids, or I grew up the oldest of four siblings and my parents both worked. So I just grew up helping raise my brothers and sister. I'm the oldest of six,
0: so I totally get it. (laughs) Yeah. Mm -hmm. That Uh, older sibling syndrome.
1: Yeah. I had to learn that it is okay. And in fact, I am entitled to sit around and do nothing. Whether that's journaling or reflecting, or it's not selfish, it's part of being a human. I don't have to do right. stuff all the time.
0: Do you feel like you look at other people who do prioritize self care and you're like, oh, I feel like I break out into like a Disney princess song of, if I could just <laughs> figure this shit out, <laughs> watching somebody else journal and set boundaries. I'm <laughs> like, one day.
1: I spent a lot of money last year, Taylor, fit learning how. To... <laughs> oh gosh, I'm getting a lot better, and I also my daughter now. I only have I have one kid, and she's three. I'm setting much better professional boundaries. Things are getting easier. It's getting much easier to do that. I, the bottom line is, when you have a newborn, or if you're just a breastfeeding
0: person, like oh my gosh that sorry. <laughs> like, you <Yeah, no>, <laughs> no, don't exactly. belong to yourself. <laughs> exactly. Oh my gosh. I thought nursing was so much harder than pregnancy. I would do childbirth a hundred times before having to nurse again. I mean, it was just, yeah, it's a full-time job in yeah. your body and your yeah. time or not your own.
1: Talk about being a human giving human giver, right? Yeah. <laughs>
0: so not oh my human gosh.
1: Being, you're a human giver.
0: <laughs> yeah. Allie, I'd be driving to engagement shoots, and I was like, I dare somebody to pull me over. I'm like hooked up to my <laughs> pump, like going over the mountains. <laughs> and I was like, please pull me over. I dare you. Yeah. Oh my gosh, that's so it's that's so fascinating. I do love, love that book. Well, that so I was gonna ask you, and maybe this was it. What is one book that has recently completely changed your life? It may have been Burnout, but it might be something else.
1: Yeah. I mean, I liked Burnout a lot. I read a lot. Like a, like I read over a hundred books last year.
0: That girl, <laughs> was that a goal or was it an accident?
1: It was a goal. I think it was, I had a really, really dark, filled with grief, like COVID time. And I think it was in some escapism. So I'm not looking to replicate that. Um, yeah, but one thing, I, <laughs> one thing I read recently, and I only made it through the first two chapters, but I like found it really transformative is the artist's way.
0: It's one like of those classic,
1: classic creative self-help books. But what I found like she it's by Julia Cameron and she has a bunch of practices uh, that she recommends artists implement if they want to be in touch with their creativity and again, I only finished two chapters, but not because I didn't like it, but because I took those two practices and I felt so transformed by them that I was like, I'm not ready for any <gasps> You so need to now, let it digest. Yeah. So now I heard two practices that I loved. One is called morning pages, which is the idea that you just write three pages a day and it's not for any purpose. Like you don't even go back and read it later. You just fill up three pages and it kind of helps you get whatever is in your brain just out of your brain oh, I love so it. you stop ruminating. And then the other one is Artist Date, which is that she recommends that people take a couple hours by themselves once a week and go do something different outside of their routine. And it just is really refreshing. I really like it. So those oh, those practices it. have been
0: great. Oh my gosh, Allie, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go get it now. It's so funny that you So both of those things, I started journaling again, which is interesting because if you are a fan of the Enneagram, a healthy two moves to a healthy four. And fours are like notorious for journaling and writing and having diaries. And so I always feel like a healthy four, even if I'm not when I'm journaling. But I feel like once I get three pages in, I'm like, this would be a great podcast. And then I move into business mode and need to just shut that down. So what do you do? Like, what's your... Artist date because I, I was gonna ask like what does self-love look like for you as a lawyer as an attorney but since you mentioned the artist way what is what are some of the dates you take yourself on I love this
1: yeah I went on a hike which was super nice it was like the first hike I'd been on in a really long time There's um, something about being
0: went... in nature alone yeah. as a woman even if you're in your backyard
1: yeah It it was really nice. I went to the tattered cover one day. Nothing too far from home or too exciting, but just like something that's interesting and outside your normal routine. So taking a walk by the river and having a coffee outside, just easy, accessible. Yeah.
0: I love it. And for a two, that's painful. It's hard to spend time alone because we believe that we were put on this planet to serve and to love and to help people. And that's, for me at least what brings me the most joy but then after decades and decades of doing it you forget what it's like to spend time alone and just treat yourself to a date and just being being alone
1: yeah I think really just generally believing that that's not a waste of time
0: that's, yeah. the, that's the,
1: been the big shift
0: oh my gosh I love it okay so so Allie, anything outside of taking yourself on a date, what does self-love look like for you? Because I know we can practice self-love and self-care and self-compassion every day in small ways. It doesn't have to be a huge grand gesture. Are there any things that you do just throughout the day that remind yourself like, okay, I am worthy. It's okay for me to be a human being and not a human doing. Is there anything that, that you do like as, as a ritual
1: yeah, I'm not somebody who's really good at routines or rituals in that I don't like I don't do the same thing every day or I don't get up and do the same thing in the morning. Gosh, but there are some things that I yeah, I would I would like to be able to do that, but it starts to feel like a chore. And and one thing I learned is that I can't chore my way into being happier. (laughs) I have to to feel good. (laughs) But I do like if at the end of the week in a good week, I've usually exercised a couple of times, but also when I've exercised, the internal narrative has been, I love my body. I'm impressed by how strong I am. It feels exhilarating to get my heart rate up, not Wow, I'm so lazy. I haven't exercised.
0: Oh my gosh! Or, oh, I really need
1: to work out to lose belly fat.
0: That's such a mindset shift. What kind of workouts do you like? Do you do you use well, apps? Do you go to classes? Go outside?
1: Yeah. On Thursdays, I go to Pilates at the local rec center. Me and the retirees love it. <laughs> and then we are really lucky. We have a a little home gym in our basement, and I got an Echelon bike and an Echelon rower. and it's just like some hand weights.
0: So that's super fun. I feel like once you move into the entrepreneurial world, I'm always working out with the retirees because I'm going to like the 8am yoga class Mm -hmm. when the nine to fivers are at work and (laughs) go to the grocery store when the retirees are at the grocery store, you kind of get on the retiree schedule, which is really nice. It's the best. I also
1: go to painting class once a week on Tuesdays, which is very full of retirees. I'm the youngest God. person by, like, probably 40 years at painting. It's <laughs> really good for your
0: ego, though. It's really good to be the youngest person sometimes. <laughs> I'm also um, the least skilled person, but that's okay. Fair enough, fair enough. I've got a head higher. <laughs> <hair. laughs> You're showing up and doing the thing, and that's that's half the battle. Allie, I want to hear, while we're kind of on this subject, what has been one of your favorite failures? And like we all have a you know failures aren't a bad thing they just point us in one direction or another. Do you have a favorite failure that has led you to where you are now?
1: I have a lot of, I mean, I've closed down a lot of things. Yeah. <laughs> so there's, there's many things to choose from, but I, I will do like do the fresh one, which is that like Ashley and I got what's called a business divorce. I don't think either <sighs> Ashley or I like wants to call it a business divorce, but that's, that's what it is. We split up our partnership and we did that in October. It's now February. And it was really hard. It was hard to talk through. Like, I think Ashley felt like she was abandoning me. And it was also hard to navigate. What do we do with the stuff that we built over the, you know, two years that we were in business
0: together. And you, Um, you, you and Ashley were friends from, from law school, just for a little backstory, correct? Yeah. Yep. So
1: we've been friends for a long time before we were business partners, and so it was hard. And I think that many other people like could have found themselves in a position where they weren't friends anymore after that. Mm-hmm. Um, but and that's probably why it's one of my favorite failures. It sucked at the time. It was really hard for both of us. It was, like was very draining. Uh, right. But in the end, we're both in a we're both better better served by these paths. Like it was the right hard choice. I think Ashley is about to have a baby and I think she's enjoying a yes. new job. Anyway. Uh, she has a much more predictable life, which is really good for new parenthood. And I get to take, I was running my business before Ashley joined me and now I'm back turning my business by myself. But now I've seen what it means to make decisions based on somebody else's priorities because a good two, a bad two, really. I, I didn't know what I needed. And Ashley is for, um, Ashley often knows what she needs. And so without ever consciously saying, Oh, I'll just do it Ashley's way. I was, you know, taking the lead from Ashley on what she wanted the right. business to look like because accommodating other people feels good to me. Um, and so now, now that Ashley has decided to go back to a government job and I have what we have built together, I get to get really serious about asking myself what I want and what I want my business to look like. And I'm way more equipped to do that than when I was running the business myself in the first place.
0: That's awesome, Allie. And it's, it's almost like training, especially for your personality type, having somebody there to go through the really hard stuff at the beginning with, to ha- kind of have I don't know, like a like a training period while while you're working on those muscles of listening to your inner voice and what feels right. Yeah. And it takes a lot of work to just trust what you're doing and moving forward with or leaving behind. Yep. I think that's right. I learned so much from, from working with
1: Ashley. I learned a lot from the way that we handled the winding up of our business. I think we did a really good job. Uh, so I learned how to better serve clients in partnerships. And I learned what I really want my business to look like. And the answer to that question is easy. I want my business to look
0: easy. And so yeah. that's really different than wanting it to look like an empire. So it's right. good that I know that. Passive income and like still serving <laughs> on such an intimate yeah. level. Allie, what, what advice would you have for somebody just starting out on their entrepreneurial journey? It doesn't even have to be from a legal or professional, but personal standpoint even, what does that look
1: like? I think my answer is both personal and legal, and it's don't hide from the hard stuff. Like, don't don't wait till the end of the year to look at your money situation. Don't avoid paying quarterly taxes because you don't know how to calculate them. Quarterly
0: taxes? Uh,
1: (laughs) Yeah, that took me a
0: hot minute to figure out.
1: (laughs) Don't ignore your contract because confusing like if something feels really hard then set aside some time and like take it head on because if you can assess it and understand it probably it's not as bad as you thought except for sales tax which will always be as bad as you thought oh gross (laughs) sales
0: (laughs) no that that's so perfectly worded because i think i think a lot of entrepreneurs starting out on their journey we start out you know, guns blazing and really excited. But there's always that fear in the background of what could go wrong and not just the whole thing falling apart, but like legally and financially and through taxes. And I think that's such great advice. Like if you just tackle it, it's an elephant in the room, then you don't have to, you don't have to live in fear for the next, for some of us, five, six, seven years wondering yeah. if if we're set up for, for something to happen. Is there, yeah. is there anything, Allie, that you see really common across the board with creatives, specifically creative entrepreneurs, that you're like, oh, if I had a billboard or a commercial on the Super Bowl and I could just tell people this one thing, what would it be?
1: This is super specific. <laughs> okay.
0: It it's, must be common. It's
1: forming. <laughs> yeah, it's forming a corporation instead of an LLC, and what what happens is that I see creative small business owners start a corporation because they've heard that you benefit from being taxed as an S corporation, right? That you've got lower -hmm. lower taxes. So they go to their secretary of state's website and they form a corporation so that later they can go make this S election. But the reality is that you can make an S election with an LLC instead of a corporation. And if you formed a corporation, you are obligated by law to have a board of directors, an annual mm-hmm. shareholders meeting, bylaws, a shareholder agreement, a bunch of stuff that I have not met a single person in my practice who was aware of any of those obligations yes, when yes. A corporation. <laughs> and they and, and I think that there are some accountants that aren't aware of those obligations because that's not an accountant's job to tell you about your you know your shareholders' meeting. Right, so my right. biggest thing to would be do not form a corporation. That's not not true for everybody. But how about if I just say, in general, every single creative entrepreneur should think long and hard about why they're forming a corporation. And if you think you need to form a state-level corporation, you need to talk to a lawyer first. LLCs are much easier to manage. Yes. I have not met a single one of my clients that should have formed a corporation. It's a really common mistake. Mm-hmm. Corporations are good for like businesses seeking investment income or... Yeah. Mostly businesses don't want to sell shares and most photographers don't want to sell shares of their business.
0: (laughs) No. And we, so I'm I'm so grateful because I'm going to ask if you mind explaining what an LLC actually means on a practical level. Cause Mike explained it to me when we were dating and I started my business and he said, you need an LLC. And I specifically remember asking, are you sure I don't want to be a corporation? And he was like, no. And he explained to me why, but but for a lot of people, they don't have somebody explaining why you don't want to be a corporation. And it wasn't until we're still in LLC Alley, and it's been 12 years or 10 years, I guess, full-time that I, you know, finally made it official in Colorado. But it was probably four years ago that our accountant, thank God, she like does know about this stuff. She said, you need to be taxed as an escort. But that wasn't until years after we hit the six figure mark and it actually made sense. And we were paying for our own health insurance that it actually made sense for us to be taxed as an escort, but we're still registered with the state as an LLC. And we, and thankfully it's just my, my husband and I, who are part of the corporation. And I'm using air quotes right here, the corporation. And so whenever we go on our shareholders meeting, it's usually like a weekend getaway romantic getaway to San Diego. And we're like, Hey, you want to change anything? And we write some stuff down and do take some notes for tax purposes. But do you mind explaining quickly what an LLC is? If you can do it quickly. Sure.
1: So yeah, no, it's, it's, I can do it pretty quick, I bet. (laughs) I'm sure you've been trained. Yeah, LLCs and corporations, and there's a bunch of other kinds of entities, but all of those business entities exist to separate business assets from personal assets and to separate the assets of one business from another business. So when you form an entity, and LLCs and corporations are two types of entities, When you form an entity, what you're doing is almost like bringing another person into being, right? That's why Mm -hmm. we like to talk about corporate personhood and Citizens United, if you're political, because some people don't like that corporations have a lot of the same rights as people. So you form a business entity, you have your articles of organization, which is like the birth certificate, you get an EIN, which is like the social security number. And now your business can own a bank account, your business can own property, your business can buy things, your business can sign contracts, which means that you, Taylor, don't have to sign the lease for your commercial space. Your business can sign the lease for your commercial space. And then if things go poorly in your business and you need to close your business, you can avoid having your personal assets available to satisfy those obligations on the commercial lease. In reality, on really expensive contracts like leases, landlords often require a personal guarantee because they don't trust that your business has the assets to satisfy. To satisfy those obligations, but similarly, like if you were a wedding photographer and you had a hundred clients booked in 2020, and you couldn't give them all refunds that were promised to them in their contracts, you could have bankrupted your photography business and walked away from those clients instead of giving them your home equity. Exactly. Uh, so that's yeah. why we
0: use entities. That's such a practical uh, way so- of approaching it. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So and it doesn't do, I think some people think, oh, I have to form an LLC so that if someone gets hurt, they can't sue me. That doesn't, it's not how it works. You're always going to be personally responsible for your own actions. Mm-hmm. So if you tailor hurt someone on a photo shoot, they could sue you and your business. And that's why we also carry insurance.
0: Exactly. Your business insurance
1: is going gonna, is gonna to cover that.
0: Right. Which could be an entirely other conversation and podcast interview about <laughs> business insurance. We we'll will get into that. that. Yeah, <laughs> right. Oh my gosh. I would love it because yeah, there's, there's so many questions again, that revolve around law insurance and uh, taxes. And so, yeah, yeah. we'll definitely yeah. have And to- I do have
1: Taylor, I can send you my business law basics class for the show notes. If you, it's free. Yes. Um, so, in Allie, case I wanna, would like a little deeper
0: dive great i would love for you to tell people about what you offer and, and also Allie, i know you obviously work with photographers who else like who who what what are some other fields of creative of creative entrepreneurs that you work with very closely how can people learn more about what you offer share with us what you are offering i just i just think the world of what you're doing Oh,
1: thanks, Taylor. Yeah, of course. So I can do in-person work or one-on-one, not in-person. No one does in-person, right? I can do one-on-one work (laughs) with clients in Colorado due to license restrictions. I can't represent clients outside Mm -hmm. of Colorado, but with businesses in Colorado, I can do one-on-one contract drafting, advice, working with people on setting up business entities, And then I have a couple of different video supported templates. So as we were talking about earlier, I think it's important that people understand their contract. So every contract template we sell has videos to explain all of the clauses in the contract. So even if you don't work with an attorney one-on-one, you still have the education to understand what the contract says. I uh, feel really passionately about that. I have a lot of free resources on YouTube. You can follow us on Instagram at creatives, learn law, and I'm working on a class about becoming an employer. So if that's on your to-do list for this year, that should be out later this spring.
0: That's so exciting, Allie. Oh my gosh. I I will definitely put all the ways that you can reach Allie in the show notes. Allie, I I love ending our time together with this question because it does humanize us as entrepreneurs and business owners. So I want to know if you're open to sharing, when was the last time you didn't feel like you were enough?
1: Sure. So in my <laughs> industry,
0: <laughs> the
1: expectation is perfection, right? Like the, right. your contract is only good if it's free of errors, even silly, small errors. And I'm one person, I'm one person doing my best. So at least once a week like i'm working with a document on a client and a client says like oh hey yesterday it was that the word any appeared tw- i just said any any <laughs> like it just appeared <laughs> twice it was a typo and every time i see something like that my first reaction is always oh you're so unprofessional like how did you let that go to the client with that typo in it and i just have to remind myself like i'm a human i'm not right. a robot with code inside of me i'm a human because i always feel like a fraud when a client points out a typo or when I notice a mistake, like maybe I sent something to a client and I have to email them back and say, Hey, there was an issue. I fixed it. I'm getting a lot better at not letting it create a spiral for me, but there's always that initial feeling of inadequacy when I, when I catch mistakes.
0: Yeah. Oh my gosh. I, I totally understand though, especially when you're, when you are a one woman show, I mean, things are going to happen and Thanks so much for sharing that. Is there anything else that we need to know about Allie, about you, about Creatives Learn Law? Obviously you are, Allie, but know about you, Gosh. Creatives Learn Law, what your passions are, deep, dark secrets no, or security I... number, anything.
1: <laughs> I mean, there's so, there's so much I would share with you, Taylor. I'd love to come back to do more legal specifics if your audience finds it useful, but I would say if you want legal tips, I promise you, we have a ton of them on our social media and we really keep it substantive and and valuable. So I hope that you'll join us there, but otherwise, thank you so much. It was so good talking to you.
0: Thank you so much for being here. And again, we're going to put how to, how to contact Allie and get in touch with her in the show notes, but thank you so much for joining us today. We'll see you next time. Thanks, Allie.